Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. Today, this is Flavio Villanustre, and I am here with a guest, and I'm sure you know him because he's been part of the community for decades now. This is Jake Smith. He's one of our core development team for HPCC. He has been involved in so many areas that I can just name them. It would be the list too long to go through. But some of his core uh, interests and uh, some of his uh, most relevant work today has to do with this journey to the cloud that we uh, covered with Richard in our previous episode. He is uh, one of the most significant driving forces behind Thor and making Thor dynamic in the cloud and um, and building all of these capabilities that can truly enable the HPC systems platform to get into a true, a true public cloud environment with all of the, that means. So without any more preamble, welcome Jay to the podcast and thank you very much for being here. No, thank, thank you, Flavio. So, Jake, can you tell us a little bit of what you are doing today, what, what you're working on and, and, and what you have done in the last uh, several months and, uh, and you're planning to do in the next few? Yeah, so it's been, um, it's been really an interesting time um, taking a, a system which was designed for commodity hardware where we owned all the hardware and managed it all ourselves in, uh, in our data centers and trying to transform that into a, into a system which works natively on the cloud. And, and by that, by natively, I mean, um, wasn't just a lift and shift type operation where they were running on VMs in the cloud, but um, were cloud aware. And, and you know, the main benefits we wanted to get out of it was that we wanted the system to be dynamically provisioned. We wanted it to be flexible so that you could, um, uh, you had a dynamic number of, uh, of cluster instances, historically we've had a um, a provision system which is tied to the hardware that we procured at some point in time, and it, those resource limits were usually um, uh, underutilized in the beginning because we overbought those procured hardware um, resources, and then overutilized over time. So you, you know, it cost us on both ends of the, of that curve. And um, you know, we, we've, you know, over the last uh, two or three months, we've um, we've come up with um, something a little bit more than a proof of concept. It, it can run, it can run real jobs, but there's some way to go. But we have a system where you can uh, run an unlimited number of store instances, instances, for example, and you can define the size of those store instances, the amount of memory they have, and and it's really um, a, a trivial amount of effort to define the types of uh, machines they run on, the amount of resources they're going to use. Um, so that, that's a real um, uh, a game changer, really. Um, uh, it's not been, uh, been it, it, there have been some challenges on the way, but it, the, the biggest challenge of all, really, was that the, the system that we have developed over the last 20 years or so was kind of built on the presumption that um, it was running on a cluster of nodes where the storage was tied to the compute. Um, and we made very strong assumptions in all areas of the code that the um, it was the most efficient thing to do to, to keep 
the data moving as little as possible and it was cheap to read locally. And of course in the cloud that's um, unless you were taking a lift and shift type approach where you had VMs that are up 24 seven, then that's no longer the case. And nor would you want it to be the case. You want the disassociation and you want the consistency of data that's maintained outside the computer and the computer is ephemeral and, and it's not running at all when there are no jobs running. So that's been one of our biggest challenges to change the paradigm around HPCC so that the data is no longer considered a um, a something that's persistent to the local compute. Dick, uh, that's, that is absolutely uh, really interesting. And uh, how do how do you uh, manage this uh, this balance between that dynamic type of environment where you do not have um, complete control over the underlying variables in the hardware and um, our historic um, um, quest always to fine tune the hardware to the specific um, application that we have for that HPC cluster. Over the years, we used to be very specific on what hardware we bought and we tried to ensure that we could get the best performance we get across all of the components of the hardware. So we had a system that was uh, well tuned to HPCC. And now with the cloud providers, you do not do not have the luxury to tune that system other than just by picking the size of the VMs or, or the type of storage that you want behind it. Um, so how do you ensure that it's still performing the um, most optimal way? Yeah, well, it is a challenge. Um, uh, you know, we, you, know you, do have, you do have levers and controls over exactly how much um, you know, resources a a container is, is is provisioned. You have you have guarantees over what resources they they, they are given um, in terms of number of CPUs or fractions of CPUs or, and the amount of memory. Um, and as you said, it's it's still going to be a matter of yeah, an infrastructure type approach of, of deciding what kind of uh, machine the VM machine types that, that are used in the first place. But um, we try to provide. I mean, this is this is this is partly in progress right now. But defining the, or it's not so much defining it, it's providing a easy and convenient configuration to provide those resource limits to each of our components in a, in a coherent and easily manageable way such that uh, they can deploy and configure those systems easily. Uh, the, it, the, the, the underlying changes that are required are not particularly difficult for coming up with a, a coherent and, and um, sensible way for the end users which are deploying our system with Helm charts. We're, 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 we decided to use Helm as a orchestration system for deploying um, HPCC on Kubernetes, and um, and that that's quite that provides quite a nice way of passing configurations and values and overrides in. So that's somewhat work in progress. But you're right that providing the consistency is is different. I mean, one of the one of the advantages of containers, not so much Kubernetes, is that and one of the problems we've always had really on bare metal is that the um, operations have decided what is their favorite um, version of the OS and what their favorite drivers are, and what, what, what which third-party library versions there are, what tools are installed. And for us, that's typically been a myriad of different, different flavors, and we never know quite what to expect. And that's thrown up issues in, in itself. Um, so not, not in terms of your resource performance, but in terms of consistency of um, the operating environment that our, our software is running in. So 
with containers, that, that becomes a hell of a lot, a hell of a lot easier. Um, you know, we, we define, we, as this is a DevOps approach, we're defining exactly what goes into that uh, container, not the HPCC, the, uh, the HPCC software at the end of it, but the OS and all the base libraries. We make, make a decision and we've tested that uh, in various cloud providers and locally and in different, different scenarios, but we know that that isn't changing. So that's one thing that makes things a little bit easier. Um, in fact, we have tighter control over what's what's running in those containers. And we, you know, the other big benefit, of course, and you know, it's just the principle of containers in general, is that we have much greater isolation. Um, that's another bugbear that we have in bare metal that um, uh, they, they may have co-deployed another um, you know, Spark cluster in the same environment, and there, there are clashes with you know, simple things like ports, but it's, it's surprisingly how it's surprising how often those kind of simple things bite um, the, the, the bite our bare metal system. So those kind of things have become easier to manage, if, if anything. That makes a lot of sense. But um, the one thing I typically read about, um, and, and with some reason, is the fact that uh, Kubernetes and containers in general are meant to handle compute loads not as much data loads. Uh, so um, uh, they, there is always this concern about uh, the uh, persistency of data or persistency of anything that is mutable in those containers. So how are we planning on, uh, on handling that, that data plane, uh, the, the place where the data resides and how we ask the data from there? Yeah, right. So, so in 7.8, which is the first version of our, um, our cloud native platform, um, we support any well I, well, I won't say any, but we support the, uh, any storage class um, that, that the cloud provider provides um, uh, under Kubernetes. So that allows you to define persistent volumes which are off-cluster, off um, the containers are ephemeral, the nodes are ephemeral, um, and that will be persisted data. Um, I said not any before because um, a lot of the storage classes that uh, the cloud providers provide have different char characteristics, and, and in particular, um, they uh, many of the implementations don't allow uh, multi-container write read write or write access in particular, and that's um, something that uh, APCC relies on as a paradigm. We rely on our compute engines all having the ability to write files concurrently. Um, if you think of a, if you think of multiple job, jobs writing or publishing files or creating files uh, that, that are going to be read by other jobs, then they all and it's a distributed system, they're all writing separate chunks of data, they all need to write to that shared storage. So there's, there are limitations in terms of um, the availability of those off-the-shelf solutions um, that uh, Azure and um, uh, AWS and GKE. In fact, I think um, Azure and, and GKE both do provide you know, quite nice off-the-shelf solutions which, which work quite, um, they're quite performant. AWS do not. They don't provide a, a read-write-many um, storage class that's um, particularly, well, I think they don't at all. Um, and for, there, there are, we have a example set up which it, uh, provides a NFS-type storage solution in that case. Um, in the long run, however, um, these, these may be perfectly viable for, for many, many situations, but uh, there's, it's not just a case of the the flexibility in, in terms of what you can do in terms of uh, being able to 
read-write many, for example, it's also they have different cost and performance profiles. Um, and cost is is the big one for uh, you know, our use cases where we have many many petabytes of data. And they these storage class implementations that are off the shelf and posits compliant and provided by Azure and and, and um, DKE tend to be a lot more expensive than their cheapest storage solutions, which are blobs, blob, um, blob file storage solutions. And uh, I mean, I think we're talking about sort of tenfold cost multiples in some cases. And so for that reason, we it's not going to it's not not ready in seven eight, but we're we're working or you know close to finishing uh, seven ten at the moment, and seven ten will su natively support. Um, Azure Blobs and and S3 on AWS, and that will mean that we have basically we have access to the cheapest and uh, most um, cost efficient storage schemes available to those cloud providers. Um, so it it is it is it is in development at the moment, and we are not quite sure about all the characteristics, but it's uh, it's going to be a uh, storage choice. For many, that's a must when you're dealing with, you know, when you when it's a choice between uh, a ten tenfold increase if you use their off, off the shelf solutions. So um, there are two. That those are the two paths we're taking. So we're we're trying to be as flexible as possible to provide people not not only with um, the solutions that the cloud providers provide at cost that are POSIX compliant and uh, that they've tuned and are friendly to any software, um, but we're also trying to natively support, uh, or we will natively support their, um, lower, their lower end API and their block storage such that we can uh, take full advantage of, of um, the lower cost end of the spectrum. Yeah, that, that, that is very reasonable. But, but doesn't flexibility also bring um, the other side of, uh, of the, so all positive things, uh, have always a negative aspect there, right? And flexibility and all of these capabilities uh, to run HPC in the cloud, uh, I don't know how that impacts the person that is trying to get into HPC for the first time. And now um, their learning curve might be steeper. I don't know. Is it harder? Is it any harder to configure HPC in a public cloud than it was before to configure it in your own hardware? Um, are we? Do we have, is that more complicated? Uh, do we have ways to address that for people that are trying to get into it or even people that are trying to migrate from their own data centers to the public cloud on HPC? Um, so I, I suppose the honest answer is yes, slightly. Uh, in the past, you could have, you, you can, I'm sorry, not in the past, you can still go to the uh, our HPC systems website, download the VM and be up and running locally, offline, Pretty quickly um, with a presentation of uh, with ECL watch presented to you and all our command line tools. Um, if you're talking about setting up a similar system where you can run queries and play with the ECL watch playground, for example, in um, a public cloud, then there are more steps. But there's a there's a blog available, and it's um, it's really it's really a handful of instructions. And of course, the big advantage is that it's you you can play, but you can it's also it's also real in the sense that you can extend the system from your from a single VM to to a significant you know an actual sized cluster that you, you can do some real work on without 
without actually doing you know anything other than tweaking the value. Um, so it, yeah, honest answer is it's like there's slightly more steps, but it's it's really um, there's, it's really not very complicated. And I think um, um, if you if you follow the blog, you, no one would have any problems. And you know, as far as developing on your own machine, if if, if someone's uh, um, if someone's working under, whether they're working under Windows or Linux, there are Kubernetes uh, um, uh, systems which run locally on the machine. Whether it's Minikube under Linux um, is, is the is the Kubernetes um, implementation of choice. Or personally, under um, I you can run Minikube under Windows as well. Personally, I've been running um, Docker for desktop, which I find is is uh, a pretty a very nice implementation actually, and. Um, and that's uh, you know once you have that installed, you can you can provision the R Helm charts with one line and run it locally. And um, you your in fact, I would say it's probably even easier to use than a VM because you're no longer in a VM. You're you're you can start it on in a shell and you can access your ECO watch through your browser on 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 the standard port as if it was as if it was running locally not in containers and not in a vm so it does it's actually nicer to work with than working in a vm so swings and roundabouts but it's probably a little bit a little bit more effort but worth it <laughs> Yes, yes, yeah, I agree, I agree, yeah, 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 yeah. And besides, if someone ever tried to edit the config XML by hand, <laughs> they yeah. probably had some issues before. Yeah, so it's yeah. going to make it uh, a little yeah. even easier than that, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that the whole move to the cloud uh, and containers, there's been some auxiliary changes which probably could have happened anyway, but we we we've come we've come from a monolithic system to a system which we've broken down into more units and to the components of where it's not to deploy everything type scenario or at least conceptually it isn't you're just deploying an image that does one thing and that has changed the configuration paradigm as well where we used to have a single monolithic configuration for the whole environment um, now and, and and also over time you know, this, it's been 20 years of development. There's been a lot of, of configuration options and topology changes, etc., that have made that configuration rather, rather, rather complicated. I'd say. Um, and in 20 in 20 years, Jake, there have been so many paradigms out there. So <laughs> yeah, so this is an opportunity to sort of to, to to clean that out and to make it very simple. And then, and in most cases, the defaults are what most people want. You don't. There, you don't want to configure each component to a, a very large degree, or some of those configuration options are no longer part of the HPC um, configuration anymore. They're, they're, they're abstracted into uh, you know, the resource requirements and that kind of thing are, are a, a, a configuration level above it in the, at the Kubernetes level or um, even at the Azure level, um, you know, but it, at, the Azure, or sorry, at the cloud provider level that defines the upper limit or the number of nodes that can run, that's something that APC doesn't doesn't even need to know about. It's just something that's going to hit when you know when you, you when you run too many jobs in parallel that it will not be able to satisfy the number of jobs. It's not a question of um, something the HPCC platform actually needs to know about. Um, so yeah, I forgot what the question was there, but 
<laughs> no, 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 that, that's a great answer. No, it was about the the complexity, the added complexity of trying to run HPC on the cloud. But you you say it's right. So uh, it may be slightly more uh, involved, a few more steps, but it's certainly worth it. Uh, and in most cases, it will be even easier because you don't need to get into the all of these uh, tuning knobs and, and and settings that maybe were just legacy settings that are no longer even required. The defaults are, are the same and, uh, and and good for you to run, right? Yeah. So are, are we trying to come up with some sort of wizard to deploy it in the cloud to make it easier for people, like uh, one-click deployment or something like that? Um, that's not really on the agenda at the moment. Uh, the, uh, the configuration it has been massively simplified such that the um, Helm charts come with a um, you know, an, an overarching and configuration file, which I think is 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 a handful of lines. You know, most components that there are configurations uh, options per component, and there are some sort of global configuration components. It's documented. There's a readme, so you know you could you know, potentially have a wizard to define those values, but they're fairly self-explanatory. Or um, I mean, there 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 is some documentation, and there will be more documentation. I'm I'm not sure or convinced really that whether we will want a wizard to define our Helm charts because there are there are also you know as far as operations are concerned, who may be the end user of um, our Helm charts. This may be fitting into a larger scheme where you're not just deploying HPC, but you're also deploying um, the whole infrastructure as code, and therefore. Um, these Helm charts will be something that are used by tools like Terraform that provision the underlying resources in Azure or AWS, et cetera. Um, but I, I mean, I think for, you know, something that we've talked about before is providing a new playground based on um, uh, our, our cloud version of HPCC where users can define the type of test environment they want and they, they can create a separate test environment per user, et cetera. So having a website that could quickly do that might be might be an interesting concept. Yeah, I, I, I agree, I agree, I agree. But you said that in any case, there are a couple of blogs that people can go to, right? Uh, we have a couple of blogs. That I think there is one that you wrote uh, about deploying uh, on the cloud. Yes, so there's um, there's yeah there's a couple of blogs at the moment. There's one uh, there's the Richard Chapman uh, did a, a sort of journey to the cloud and introduction to the cloud and 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 he talked about installing um, HPCC as well. I think locally under uh, Minikube or Docker Desktop. Uh, I wrote one that walks you through the steps involved in running um, HPCC R Helm charts on Azure um, from and that's from using the Azure portal or the command line to create the, uh, the, their, their resor the resources that are required from creating a Kubernetes cluster and creating the node pool and, and the, you know, the resource groups, etc., um, to the final step of actually running our Helm charts um, um, to uh, spin up HPCC. And you know, it, it sort of concludes by um, showing you how you access the ECL watch that's been spun up in the cloud and, and playing with the playground to run queries. Um, so yeah, it, it gives you a, a, a quick insight into actually seeing APCC running running on Azure. And 
And the steps, I don't think they've currently won. A, um, we're planning one for GKE as well. And I think um, someone else is working on AWS. Um, but the steps uh, involved are fairly similar. I mean, both, all of them would involve creating, I mean, the, the, each, each cloud provider has its own API and different UI for creating the resources, but uh, you know they are ultimately that you you need to walk through the steps of creating an AKS cluster. Oh, sorry, AKS is the your name for the Kubernetes cluster, but so you need to create a Kubernetes cluster um, and associate your um, your your command line, which way you deploy your Helm charts, or or indeed you have a many of the cloud providers have a, a, a cloud shell which you can use to deploy from instead. Um, and um, yeah, so once you associated it with the, the, the created Kubernetes cluster, you can run our um, Helm charts with one line. It will pull down the, um, the charts from um, Docker Hub, um, and uh, and yeah, off, off you go. That is very cool. That, that is great. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jake. This has been uh, very insightful, and and I'm sure. Uh, the audience will, will want to know more, so we will need to continue this series uh, and perhaps have another chat in the future. I don't want to make this one too long, uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's great to know all of these capabilities, and I'm sure that there is plenty out there that is uh, going into your mind and, and what's coming down the road. So thank you very much for what you're doing, and, and I'm sure we'll be talking in the future.